Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's tax time, and last year was a total bust for me. I actually lost money selling these collections at oldtimeradiodvd.com, and obviously I can't afford to lose money. No one can. While I really want everyone to have these collections, not at the low prices, it just can't continue. So if you've ever thought about owning one of these collections, now is the time because they will not be available for much longer. Go to oldtimeradiodvd.com, place your order today. OldTimeRadioDVD.com. You'll be glad you did. A rather handsome light traveling carriage on springs rolled into the gates of an inn in a certain provincial capital. The kind of carriage that is favored by bachelors, retired lieutenant colonels, second captains, landowners possessing a hundred souls or so of serfs, well, in a word, all those who are called the fair to Midland sort. The gentleman seated in this carriage was no Adonis, but he wasn't bad to look at either. He was neither too stout nor too slim. You couldn't say that he was old, but still he wasn't what you might call any too young either. His arrival created no stir whatever and was not coupled with any remarkable event. All the comments it called forth came from two indigenous moujiks standing in the doorway of a pothouse across the way from the inn. Comments which, however, had more to do with the carriage itself than with the man sitting in it. Look at that, will you? Mm. What a wheel. Mm. What do you think? Would that wheel make it to Moscow if need be? Or wouldn't it? Mm. It would. But it wouldn't make it to Kazan, I'm thinking. Or would it? Not to Kazan, it wouldn't. Mm -mm. Mm. And with that, the discussion ended. Also, as the carriage drove up to the inn, it encountered a young man in white dimity trousers, quite narrow and short, and a swallowtailed coat that made a brave attempt at being fashionable, revealing a dickey fastened with a Brummagem stick pin of bronze in the shape of a pistol. The young man turned back, looked the vehicle over while clutching at his cap, which had almost been carried away by the wind, and then went on his way again. As the carriage drove into the yard... Its occupant was met by one of the tavern help, a fellow so lively and quick that it was downright impossible to make out what sort of face he had. He dashed out briskly and, tossing back his hair, briskly led the gentleman up and along the entire wooden outside gallery to show him the chamber that God had provided him. This way, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, just a bit further, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, and here we are. The chamber was of a familiar kind, inasmuch as the inn was also of a familiar kind. That is, precisely like all inns in provincial capitals, where for two roubles a day travellers receive a restful bedroom, with cockroaches peeking out of every corner like so many black plums. While the gentleman was inspecting his room, his belongings were carried in by his servants, Selifan, the coachman, and Petrushka, the footman. First and foremost, a small trunk of white leather. Somewhat scuffed, this was not the first time it had been out on the road. Next, 
a small mahogany casket, two shoe trees, and a roasted chicken wrapped in blue paper. While his servants were arranging things and fussing about, the gentleman went downstairs into the dining room. What these rooms are like, every traveller knows well. Always the same calcinated walls, darkened above from the chimney smoke and glossy below from the backs of sundry transients. The same sooty ceiling, the same hanging chandelier, dingy from smoke, the same oil paintings on the walls, uh, with the exception of one featuring a nymph with such enormous breasts as none of us in all likelihood has ever beheld. The gentleman threw off his cap, sat down at table, and unwound from around his neck a woolen, tri-cornered neckerchief of all the hues of the rainbow, the sort that is folded for married men by their wives. Who performs that office for bachelors, I cannot with any certainty say, never having worn such neckerchiefs myself. Once this operation was completed, the gentleman turned to ordering his dinner. Mm, bring on your cabbage soup. Lots of dumplings. Mm -hmm. Then uh, brain with peas, if you've got any. Best in the province, sir. I can also recommend our sausages and sauerkraut, roast pullet, and the dill pickles. Fine, fine. And to finish, the poppy seed pastry. Oh, it's mouth-watering, sir. Precious. Eat it myself by the pound. Mm. Do you? Mm-hmm. You're busy today, I see. We're busy most days, Your Excellency. Mm -hmm. Well, your master must make a pretty profit, I suppose. Indeed he does. Though the help don't see much of it, sir. <laughs> Bit of a scoundrel, is he? Oh, he's a great hand at a swindle, sir. While all these dishes were being served to him, the gentleman continued to ply the waiter with questions, not all of which were idle ones. He inquired, with the utmost particularity, about the officials and bureaucrats of the town, about all the prominent landowners, how many souls of serfs each one owned, how far they lived from the town, what their temperament and characters might be. And the gentleman showed an especial interest in the state of health in the region. Plagues? No, not as you would say so. Oh. Uh, but epidemic fevers. Fevers? Oh, the fevers we've had hereabouts, deadly agues, smallpox, things of that sort. Oh, what a pity. Mm, it's a wonder there are any of us left to tell of it. Mm, terrible, terrible. Like flies, sir, mm -hmm. like flies. Mm. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I've been forgetting my duty. Would you mind, sir, filling out a slip of paper with your rank and name? I'll have it sent down straight away to register you with the police department. Of course. The gentleman, after working his way through the supper, retired to his room for a long nap. As he drifted off, the waiter downstairs was studying the slip of paper. Mm, collegiate Councillor Pavel Ivanovich Chichikov, landowner, traveling on private business. Hmm. Chichikov. Huh. What sort of a name is... Waiter! Uh, uh, yes, sir. I'm coming, sir. In the days that followed, Chichikov, for that was indeed the newly arrived gentleman's name, looked the whole town over and found himself quite satisfied with it. 
In no way did it yield to other provincial towns. The paint on the stone houses was the usual yellow, while the paint on the wooden houses was the usual grey. Quite unexceptional. In some places, these houses seemed lost in the midst of a street as wide as a field. In others, they were all in a huddle. He came across signboards, all but bleached clean by the weather, one showing pretzels, another boots, and yet another blue breeches above the name of a tailor from Arras and Arsaw. The pavement was rather uniformly poor everywhere, and the town park turned out to consist of the puniest of little yellowed trees. Their triangular props, however, were very handsomely painted in a glossy green. Chichikov also set about paying calls on all the high officials in the town. He paid his respects at the office of the governor. And when one enters your bustling metropolis, one might be entering into paradise itself. Your roads are like velvet. Truly, governments which appoint such wise and diligent dignitaries as your excellency are deserving of the highest praise. Chichikov paid his respects to the vice-governor and the chairman of the administrative offices, who, though they were still only state councillors, he persisted in addressing erroneously as Your Excellency, an error which did him much credit in their eyes. No, no. Your Excellency is too kind. I am but an insignificant worm, unworthy of Your Excellency's concern, though I will not deny that I have endured much while in the service of my country and, in consequence, have made enemies. There have even been attempts on my life. Finally, Chichikov paid his respects to the public prosecutor, the superintendent of the government manufactories, and the chief of police. So that now I seek only peace and quiet. Surcease, a shady nook, a place to settle down at last. And once I happened on this choice corner of our homeland... I recognized a duty to call upon its foremost dignitaries. Thus, in his conversations with these potentates, was he most artfully able to flatter each one. Once the high officials of the town had begun singing his praises in chorus and in solo, Chichikov decided to begin calling on the outlying landowners. He was resolved to start with a certain Manilov, who had cordially and repeatedly insisted that he visit. Selifan harnessed the horses, while Petrushka was ordered to stay behind to keep an eye on the room and the small white trunk. It will probably do no harm to introduce these two, unimportant though they may be in this epic of ours, and it will take very little time. So, as for Petrushka the footman, he walked around in a loose brown frock that was a hand-me-down from his master and had a very large nose and lips. He was, by temperament, taciturn rather than talkative. He even had a noble impulse toward enlightenment, reading books with a passion. All books. It was a matter of indifference to him whether the book dealt with the adventures of a love-struck hero or was simply a dictionary or a prayer book or a handbook on chemistry. He read them all with the same eager attentiveness. Cellophon, the coachman, on the other hand, was altogether different. Well enough, perhaps. The author is conscience-stricken at having devoted such attention to people of such low class. And indeed, he is a little queasy about his hero, who, after all, is a mere collegiate counsellor. Nevertheless, it is to our hero that we must now return. Here he is. 
shaved, spruce, dressed in a frock coat of scintillating bilberry hue and a greatcoat of choicest bearskins ensconced in his carriage in the middle of the inn-yard waiting for Selifan to crack the whip. Enough dawdling, Selifan. Get on with it. Hang on, then. The carriage thundered out of the gates of the inn and into the street. A priest who was passing by doffed his hat. Several street urchins in mud-caked shirts, calling themselves orphans, held out their hands. Selifan, noticing that one of them showed a real adroitness in hitching on behind, tickled him with his whip. With that, the carriage bounced towards open country. Velvet! Ha! Hardly had they left the town when there began to unroll on both sides of the road vistas of a wild preposterousness. Hummocks, fir groves, small, squat, sparse undergrowths of young pines, charred stumps of old ones, wild heather and such like nonsense. One came upon villages all strung out in a single line with huts that looked like weather-beaten piles of wood covered over with grey roofs. Country wives looked out of the upper windows. Out of the lower, calves would peer and sows poke their unseeing snouts. In short, the sights were of a thoroughly familiar nature. Mamilovka. Mamilovka. Manilovka. You mean Manilovka. Yes. Why didn't you say that? Just go straight ahead, sort of, to the right. To the right? Sort of, yes. That will be your road to Manilovka. But there ain't no Mamilovka around hereabouts. When you get there, you'll see a house up on the hill, stone two-storied. That's the manor where the squire lives. Hang on, then. Pavel Ivanovich. You do our humble house honor. Welcome. Welcome. The landowner Manilov descended from his porch and heartily embraced Chichikov. His eyes, sweet as sugar, puckered up as he burbled with pleasure, leading his guest inside. This way. This way. Oh, pardon the state of things. One is always, you know, making improvements to this and that. Launching, how shall we say... Refinements? Uh, it's never done. Perfection is always round the corner, mm. beckoning, beckoning. After you. No, no, I shall follow you in. No, Pavel Ivanovich, no, you are my guest. Now, don't put yourself out, please. I beg of you, do go in. No, really, you must excuse me. I could never allow such a cultured guest to go in after me. Oh, you have too high an opinion of my culture. Please, go in. Well, now, do be kind enough to go first. Finally, the two of them sidled through the door together, crowding each other somewhat. <coughs> Allow me to present you to my wife, my pet. This is Pavel Ivanovich. <coughs> Madame Manilov rose from the divan on which she had been sitting, and it was not without pleasure that Chichikov approached to kiss her tiny hand. Though eight years married, the Manilovs were, as the saying goes, happy. Indeed, they were still in the habit of bringing each other a slice of apple or a bonbon or a nut and of saying in the tenderest of voices, Open your mouth wide, dearest, and let me put this tidbit in it. 
And there were also times when suddenly, for no reason whatever, they would impress so languishing and prolonged a kiss upon each other's lips that you could, while it lasted, smoke a small cheroot down to the end. Please be seated, Pavel Ivanovich. But not on the sofa. Oh. <laughs> it isn't quite finished yet. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Now... Tell me, Pavel Ivanovich, how does our town strike you? A very fine town. A splendid town. Uh -huh. And how does our governor strike you? A most estimable and amiable man, isn't he? <laughs> Perfectly true. A most estimable man. And how he has put his very heart into his work. Uh -huh. What a grasp he has of it. Mm -hmm. One can only wish that there were more people like him. Mm. And the chief of police... A most pleasant person, isn't oh, he? Extremely pleasant. And what an intelligent and well-read fellow he is, too. And what is your opinion of the chief of police's wife? She, too. Oh, one of the most remarkable women I know. We spend most of our time here in the village, but occasionally we drive into town for the sole purpose of seeing some cultured people. If only one had neighbors... Someone to discuss the higher things in life with a friend. Yes, quite so. And as a certain sage has said, do not treasure money, treasure the company of good men. Mm, Pavel Ivanovich, you cannot know what a rare, exemplary happiness it is to speak with you and enjoy your learned conversation like a day in May, a birthday of the heart. Oh, come, what do I have? No distinguished name, no renown, no learning. You have everything, everything, and a bit more. I would give half my property to have one twentieth of your good qualities. Really, my friend, I... Hmm? Dinner mm. is served, master. There now. Uh, pray, go in, Pavel Ivanovich. You must excuse us if our dinner isn't what you're used to in the capital. Here we do things in the simple Russian way. <laughs> Nothing but cabbage soup, yet offered, if I may say so, with an overflowing heart. I'm sure it <laughs> In the dining room, Chichikov found waiting for them Manilov's two young sons, napkins tied about their necks. What? Darling little children. <laughs> and how old are they? Themistocles is eight. Alcides, just six. Themistocles, tell me, which is the finest city in France? Uh, Paris. Oh. Now then, what is our finest city? St. Petersburg. Uh, and one more. Moscow. Oh, what a clever little fellow, I must say. And of such tender years and already possessed of such knowledge. Oh, sit, sit. Yes, he has an extremely keen wit. Would that I could say the same about Alcides here. He must talk, yes. The minute he comes across anything, some tiny insect, some little bug, mm. why, his eyes light up all of a sudden and start... Starting to and fro. <laughs> I intend to have him go into the diplomatic corps. Oh, do you? Themistocles, do you want to be an ambassador? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. At long last, the meal came to an end. 
Manilov, screwing up his eyes with pleasure, put his arm around Chichikov's shoulders and was about to steer him into the drawing room. With your permission, um, there is a certain urgent matter I should like to talk over with you. Well, in that case, allow me to invite you into my study. Manilov led him off to a small room that looked out on a blue-tinged pine forest. The table and chairs were strewn with papers and books, the window sills dotted with little mounds of pipe tobacco and ashes. This is my den. A pleasant and cozy room. Yes. Well, allow me to offer you my easy chair. Oh, with your permission, a plain chair will do. Oh, permit me not to permit you that. The easy chair is intended for guests, therefore you must take it, whether you like it or not. Very well. I would like to ask you... Allow me to treat you to a small pipe full. I don't smoke. But why? I never formed a habit. Besides, they say pipe smoking gives one asthma. <laughs> Not so, my dear friend. I... I would like to ask you a question. Chichikov spoke these words with a strange intonation, and immediately thereafter, for some unknown reason, glanced over his shoulder. Manilov, too, for a reason just as unknown, looked over his shoulder. A question. Of course. Tell me, then, when did you last submit a tally of your serfs to the Bureau of Audit? Tally of serfs? Hmm. Why, some time ago, at least. I don't recall exactly. And how many of your people have died since that time? Why, I can't tell. I haven't the faintest idea. The steward should know. What do you mean, how many? There's been very many died off since the last census. Just what I would have said. Very many have passed on since then. Precisely, very many. But what, for instance, would their number be? Yes, man, how many? Why, how is one to say? No one knows how many died off. Nobody kept count. Yes, precisely. I knew that. The mortality has been great. There's just no knowing exactly. You will count them over, steward, and make a detailed list of them with their names. Master? Yes, yes, all of them with their names. Right you are, then. And... If I may be so bold, for what reason do you require this, um, information? For what reason? Uh, for what reason, you ask? Reason or reasons? Why, it's as plain as day. That is, I should like to buy some serfs. Oh, oh my good friend, why didn't you say so? Heavens, you don't have to beat around the bush with me, you know. Now, would you be wishing to buy these people with the land, or simply to take them with you? Without the land, that is. No, it isn't the actual peasants I am after. What I wish, I would like to purchase the serfs that have died. The serfs that... <laughs> Forgive me, my friend, I'm a bit... Hard of hearing, it seemed to me that you said the, the serfs... dead serfs. I wish to buy them all. All, that is, who are still designated as alive in the Bureau of Audits. Right then and there, Manilov let his pipe crash to the floor, long stem, red clay bowl, and all, and for several moments sat with his mouth gaping.
At last he picked up the pipe, and as he was bending down, looked up into Chichikov's face, trying to catch a hint of a smile on his lips, but there was nothing of the kind to be seen. And then it occurred to Manilov that perhaps Chichikov was mad. But no, for his guest's eyes were perfectly calm and serene. It seems to me you find the transaction a difficult one. Difficult? Why, no, 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 that, that's not it. It's, it's just that, um, well, lacking your brilliant education, I, I find myself... Um, metaphors whenever my... Uh, although, of course, if you... I are... am referring to those souls who are now definitely dead. Dead. Perhaps you're entertaining certain doubts. Oh, not in the least, not in the least. But, allow me to ask, won't this... Um, enterprise, this um, negotiation, shall we say, uh, be out of keeping with the uh, civil regulations of Russia? On the contrary, my friend. It shall be to the ultimate benefit of Russia. We may call these souls dead, but they are legally alive. And I, once you have transferred their ownership to me, will pay taxes and duties on them just as though they were living. The treasury will benefit. Do you really think so? We are speaking of a good and patriotic <laughs> deed. <laughs> well, if it's going to be a good and patriotic deed, then I'm in favor of it, of course. Of course. <laughs> and all that remains now is to agree on the price. The price? My friend, my dear Pavel Ivanovich, can you possibly suppose that I would accept money for souls that have done with their existence? No, no, I will sign them over to you without any financial interest in the matter, and will take the costs of the purchase deed upon myself. Oh, my good friend, how can I ever thank you? Oh, but it's nothing, absolutely nothing. Why, these dead souls are, in a kind of way, nothing more than so much trash. Oh, they are far, far from being trash. If you but knew what a service you have rendered by giving this trash to a man of no lineage or breeding. Really, what haven't I endured? Mm. What oppressions, what persecutions have I not experienced? Oh. What woe have I not tasted? And for what? Mm. For that I kept to the ways of righteousness. For that my conscience was clear. Mm. For that I extended the helping hand both to the homeless widow and to the poor, wretched orphan. And now, my good friend, I fear I must be off to Sobakevich's estate. Sobakevich's? But you're not leaving us, my dear friend. You cannot wish to go. Oh, wish? I do not wish. But I must. I must. Pavel Ivanovich, really, I... Think of the weather. What do you mean? Just look out the window at those clouds. Those, my friend, are small clouds. Petty, insignificant clouds. Do you know the, the way to Sobakevich's, then? Well, I can only hope, dear friend, that you will point it out to me. Oh, oh but of course. Of course, my dear, dear <laughs> Pavel Ivanovich. Of course I'll do anything you wish. Manilov and Chichikov, for a moment, stood staring into each other's eyes. For all the world, like those old oil portraits which in times past used to be hung facing each other on either side of a smooth, polished, iron-framed mirror. Long after Chichikov had driven out of the yard, Manilov might have been seen there at the top of the front steps, puffing on his pipe and gazing fixedly into the distance.
He was strolling with his new friend by the side of a shady lake as they settled the most profound philosophical questions one after another, and with what subtlety, what eloquence, what ease. Now, the Tsar himself was embracing them, hanging medals round their necks, holding them up as an example to all Russia. People were applauding, many of them with tears in their eyes. And so suppertime found him in the gathering dusk. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.